the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Good evening, and as Nick said earlier, we're in week five of our Lent series, Abraham, A Journey Through Lent. Now in this series, we've been exploring the life of Abraham. And for those of you who have heard some of the previous talks, I wonder how you would summarise or perhaps describe the journey Abraham has been on so far. Yes, I'm sure you thought about that geographical movement from Ur by way of Haran down to Egypt during the famine and back up to Canaan. So there was a geographical movement as part of his journey. But I think more importantly, these early chapters in Genesis, Genesis chapters 12 through to uh, 26, um, they don't simply describe a geographical journey, they also describe a theological journey, or what I want to call his journey of divine discovery. As we've seen over the weeks, God in various ways and at various times keeps meeting with Abraham and revealing more and more of his character. We've heard how Abraham responded to each encounter. We've witnessed how meeting God has impacted his life. And we've witnessed the highs and lows, those times when he grows in trust and faith in God, and other times when he seems to lack trust and faith and seems to wander off. Now, I think that analogy of um, divine discovery is something that we can apply to the whole Bible. I think the whole Bible is a journey of divine discovery. In it, as we read through it or we listen to it, we discover who God is and what this means for his creation, including you and me. So tonight we come to Genesis 22, verses 1 through to 19. And I think Walter Brueggemann has some really interesting words in his commentary just to explain and reflect on Genesis 22. This chapter is one among the best known and theologically most demanding in the Abraham tradition. It poses acute questions about the nature of faith and the way of God with his faithful creature. So in Genesis 22, God chooses to reveal himself once more to Abraham. And Abraham has to choose how to respond. Now in this latest encounter, we learn straight away that God is the God who tests. Listen to verse 1 again. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Before we look at the specific test God sets Abraham in Genesis 22, I wonder how you react to the word test or perhaps the word exam. What emotions or memories do these words raise in you? What flashbacks, perhaps, can you perceive? Perhaps you're taken back to your childhood or university experience. Was there a particular teacher or lecturer whose tests were impossible or full of trick questions? Or did they spring them unexpectedly on you as you walked into the classroom? Now, as a former secondary school head of department, I spent many years setting internal school exams, mocks, end of topic tests, etc. And observing my students down through the years, as the tests approach, I came to this conclusion that many of them, perhaps most of them, believed that tests were there to show what they didn't know. I wonder if that's how you felt when you faced tests. 
They often, at a point of high stress, declare to me, there is no point taking the test because I don't know anything. And many believed, and I'm sure it's still true today for some, that tests and exams deliberately seek to show that you're a failure, that you're not good enough, that you know nothing. Now, if you hold that mindset, then tests will always seem scary, threatening and negative experiences. I even overheard students suggesting that tests are carried out by horrible, uncaring teachers who simply get a kick out of people who fail. Now, if that's what people believe, then I think it's totally possible to project some of those ideas and thoughts onto God, since here in verse 1, God is revealed as a God who tests. Perhaps you yourselves feel that the God revealed in this text is uncaring, horrible and nasty, because he likes to set horrible and nasty tests. I wonder if God gets off on seeing us fail. I wonder if that's your perspective and how you view the text we're going to explore later. Well, I spent a lot of time as a teacher trying to get my students to reframe their attitude to tests. I'm not sure if I convinced that many of them, but a well-designed test should be seen as an opportunity to show what you know. These tests help identify areas that you're not so confident in, but they do that so that you can revisit specific areas of the curriculum and increase your knowledge and confidence in the subject. Tests give you good feedback to know the direction of your next steps and your learning profile. Tests help you identify also those areas of your knowledge or skills that are really strong. Good tests, well-designed tests, are opportunities to learn more about yourself in order to grow, to improve, to demonstrate and celebrate what you can do. As I've already said, it is clear from here and other parts of the Bible that God is clearly a God who tests. God's people will be a people who are tested. So why does God test us? Why does God test Abraham? What is God giving Abraham the people of God and us, the opportunity to demonstrate when we're tested. It is certainly not whether you can recall Pythagoras' theorem, write a postcard in French describing your holiday, or remember that penguins only live in the Antarctic and not the Arctic. Did you notice when Nick was reading the passage earlier that God actually gives the answer in the text? Listen again to Genesis 22 verse 12. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. God is a God who tests, because our testing gives us the opportunity to demonstrate we fear God. So does that mean that a good Christian is someone who fears him in the same way that my daughter Maddie fears height? Does God want us to be terrified of him? Well, back in 2018, long before lockdown, etc., etc., as a final family holiday before Alice and I empty nested, yes, it wasn't to celebrate empty nesting, it was to uh, enjoy the family being together again uh, before they all headed off to university. We took the girls to Toronto over in Canada and we decided to go up the CN Tower. Now, clearly, Maddie was not exactly raving about it. You can see the height 
of it there above even the high-rise zone of Toronto. But fortunately, the lifts were very fast, so we got her up to the viewing deck quickly. And as long as she looked out and not down, she was happy. Maddie's fear of heights means that she never willingly chooses to look how high up she is. She never looks down, she just looks out. Just as my other daughter, Emily's fear of spiders means that she never knowingly shares a room with a spider, no matter how small the spider is. I wonder if you suffer from that kind of fear. A fear which means you don't want to go anywhere near the object of your fear. Be that heights, be that spiders, be that whatever. Fear God, fear of God or fear of the Lord is not about terror and avoidance of God. Instead, when you understand the Hebrew, it means having a deep respect, reverence and awe for God as he exercises his power and authority in his creation. Fear of God actually means trusting in the character, in the nature of God. And so letting God guide us in all aspects of our lives. Fear of God would be better translated as being in awe of God. The purpose of Abraham's test is ultimately about whether Abraham trusts God or not. Whether he has faith that God is in charge and knows what's best for his creation. And this trust or true living faith can only be shown through our life choices. Interestingly, this is the theme which the book of James picks up on and emphasises. Oh, and guess what? Abraham is used as an example in it. Let me read James 2 verses 18 through to 28. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And on the screen we have the next verses. You foolish person. You do, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. God is inviting Abraham to live out his faith when he sets him the test. Many, but not all of the tests God sets in the Bible occur at times when the people of God are facing choices about whether to carry on walking with God or to go off and worship different gods. For example, here in Deuteronomy 13 we read, the Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow and him you must revere or fear. Keep his commands and obey him, serve him and hold fast to him. Now let me read Genesis 22 verse 1 again. Sometime later God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. I wonder if you notice that we're told that Abraham is being tested, but it's not all that clear whether Abraham knew himself it was a test. It's not as if we read in verse 1, he said to him, Abraham, I have a test for you. Oh goody, he replied. And it's, God definitely does not say in verse 2, then God said, I know I didn't warn you to revise for a test last time we met, but I'm setting one for you today. Take your son Dot, dot, dot. We may never know whether 
the choices and events we encounter in life are a test from God, circumstances created by the fallen, broken and damaged world that we live in, or temptations from the devil. But actually, I don't think that matters in a way, since God calls us to always walk with him day in and day out. Every choice we make should demonstrate that we fear God, that we're in awe of him, that we trust him, that we know he has our best interests at heart. Trying to categorise the choices we face will just tie us up in knots. I don't think it's that helpful for us spiritually. Well, let's get back into the passage and God's test. In verses 3 through to 12, we see Abraham utterly trusting God as he chooses to follow God's command. Abraham is an old man, a very old man by chapter 22, over a hundred years old. And during his life, God has met with him on a number of occasions. And the choices he's previously made following those encounters have not always gone well, but God has kept returning and remained faithful to Abraham. Abraham, when faced with this test from God, might well have looked at God's faithfulness in the past, and use that to trust him in the present, when he faced a seemingly, at least to me, impossible choice. Well, what about you? What about me? Looking back over our lives, I wonder if there have been particular times when you remember you, had, you faced a particular decision to either walk with God to obey him, or to ignore him and walk your own way. I wonder how you made the choice that you did. What gave you the strength to make what was perhaps, as Abraham here faced, a nearly impossible choice? I wonder, have there been particular times in your own life which act as markers for you, which reveal the faithfulness of God that you can look back to? Times when God has revealed himself to you in a way which you can hold on to when you face tough choices and decisions in the present. It may not simply just be you. Maybe it's perhaps the testimony of friends or the testimony of particular Christians down through the centuries or, ex or the experiences of the people of God in the Bible. And all of these can serve as anchors for your faith as you deal with the conflicts and the indecisions and the concerns and the worries of decision making in the present. If you're comfortable, why not share one of those marker stones from your own experiences or other people's, which are important to you. God is a God who tests, but any test he sets up is there to allow us to demonstrate our trust and faith in him. Our choice to walk with him in the present celebrates what he has done in the past for us. Our present choices reflect the depth of our trust in him. And like Abraham, each of us is on our own journey with God, day by day, step by step. The choices we face allow us to show our trust, love and commitment to him. Well, we've spent a lot of time thinking about God as a God who tests, but this passage reveals even more about who God is. It presents us with a second characteristic. Look at verse 8 with me. A verse which structurally lies at the centre of the test narrative and answers the question posed by Isaac. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then bounce forward to verse 13. 
Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And finally, verse 14, part A. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Actually, this theme continues into verses 15 and 7 to 17 as well, as God confirms his promise about Abraham's future. So God in this chapter is not only revealing himself as the God who tests, but he is also the God who provides. God gives the ram. God does not want Isaac's death at the end of the day, but he did want to see Abraham's faith in action. This test teaches Abraham, teaches the people of God as they read it, and teaches us as we read it, that we follow a God who provides. Remember, we think that uh, Genesis was finally put together, at least the final edited version of it, was during the exile. So here, the exilic people, the people separated from God, separated from their land, separated from the temple, have a hope being established by this text that they believe in a God who will provide for them. Abraham in many ways faced an impossible test. Did he follow the command of God and so potentially broke the promise of God that he would be the father of a great nation? Or did he follow the promise of God and so break the command of God? Like all of his tests, God wanted Abraham to display his trust and faith and in doing so, God provides the ram which allows both the command and the promise to be met. I wonder how often you're surprised or disappointed with God's activity or lack of activity. How many times have you thought you knew how God ought to act and yet he did not act in that way? Or you thought you knew when God should act, but he didn't. Throughout the Bible, we read of a God who is at work, who is guiding creation and the people of God, we read of a God who provides for his people at a time and a place and in a way of his choosing. We may find this text really uncomfortable. But already, remember, we've, we've seen that in the life of Abraham that he had to wait 25 years from the promise of Isaac to his birth. And as Brueggemann reminded us at the beginning, Genesis chapter 22 is a difficult passage due to what God tells Abraham to do. Now I think, as 21st century Christians generally brought up in a consumerist, individualistic culture, we possibly find the test harder to understand than Abraham did. Whenever I read the Old Testament, I often picture the opening screen from Star Wars. The Star Wars logo appears with the following blue words. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Abraham, to us, literally lived in an alien world. 4,000 years separate our lived experiences and Abraham's. And therefore, God spoke a different cultural language to communicate to him. And this is why we should find some of the Old Testament confusing, strange, and at times almost incomprehensible. Perhaps that's why we struggle with this passage because it just seems so weird, so odd, so awful, horrific to us. 
but God spoke into the lives of people living 4,000 years ago in ways in which they would understand. God starts where people are at and transforms them over time. The whole Bible is a journey of God's self-revelation to the people, to his creation. And we see changes as well as similarities throughout the sweep of the Old Testament going into the New Testament. Abraham is certainly on a journey. He's a work in progress. God meets him using the language and culture of his day in order to transform him. God meets with Abraham and reveals more of himself to him so that God's plans and purposes for his creation will be achieved. I don't know about you, but at times I can get so frustrated, so angry because I don't understand why life is as it is. It's seen, I see it on the news or in the lives of family and friends, so much pain and suffering. I don't understand why God has not provided for them, not acted, or if he has, why it looks like it does. I just don't get what God is up to sometimes. And I think people approaching this account of Abraham, it's just sometimes ask similar questions. Well, at those times in my life, I have to spend time in the Bible reminding myself that I have, we have, a God who does provide, but in ways and at times which I don't always understand. I have to trust God's plan, God's solution, God's provision is wiser than my opinions. I often find myself, when I'm struggling with this, returning to the Gospels in particular, because here I read of a God who provides for me through the very first Easter event. I read of a son who was bound, bound to a cross, of a father who so loved us he gave us his only son. I read of a son who died, who was not substituted for a ram, but who was the Lamb of God. The greatest reminder I have that we worship the God who provides is the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And this is why I find Easter and our regular communion services so powerful. At these times, I bring my questions, my doubts, my struggles to make sense of the world around me to the foot of the cross. And there I'm reminded that we have a God who provides. Now, as we draw to a close and before Elise comes and leads us in prayer, let us just pause and reflect on our own individual journeys of faith once more. Look back on your life and see where you've come from. Think about, are you journeying with God? Are you walking behind him with him leading the way? Have you wandered off on a side path? May the life of Abraham, with all his frailties, his failures, as well as those times of faith and trust, encourage us as we stand at the start of another week. May we remember that God was patient with Abraham and did not give up on him. God provided for him. And in the same way, he will also provide for all of his people through the highs and lows of their own individual, your individual, my individual faith journeys. God remains faithful and committed to his people and he calls on us to choose him in the decisions that we make.